0: So last week we went. I just give you this little taster. I gave you. The, I showed how this this theme of decreation is happening in the first three plagues. I I don't like start, starting something and not finishing it. So we're going to go through the rest of the plagues and see. Try to. I want to point out this theme of decreation because it's such a pervading theme throughout this narrative. And then we're just going to think about a little bit about what we have to learn from this theme of decreation. Is that all right? All right, so if you're interested in the first three plagues and the themes that come out of decreation in there, you'll have to go back and listen because I'm not going to make this sermon even longer. I'm trying so hard, you guys, to have shorter sermons, I promise. I'm trying so hard. Okay, Exodus 8, starting in verse 20. The fourth plague is the plague, we, first we had the, the, the Nile River turns into blood, big, huge, massive plague, God going right for the jugular and making some massive statements out of it. Then we have the plague of frogs, disgusting and, and bacterial and all the stuff. And then we have the, the dust, Moses strikes, the, or Aaron, I don't remember which one, strikes the staff on the ground and the dust becomes, turns into gnats in this This dust and this life that human beings came from that brought forth life is not bringing death about. The fourth plague is a plague of gnats, or a plague of flies. You can put that up there, Conrad. Now, some people call this idea, there's this idea that God blesses humanity in Genesis 1, and some people call it the creation mandate. Does anyone know what this creation mandate is? I hope so, because we've been talking about it all throughout the first half of the book of Exodus. What is... Thank you. Thank you, everyone. God set, commands, creates human beings, and he said, now I want you. He blesses humanity. I don't like it being called the creation mandate. It should be called the creation blessing. I bless you now to be fruitful and multiply, right? And this, this, this creation blessing is, is the reason that Pharaoh gets insecure in Exodus 1 in the first, first place, because Israel is actually under this creation blessing, and they're fruitful, and they're multiplying, and this is what challenges and, and makes Pharaoh insecure, and, begins a, and in, in response to this blessing, Pharaoh begins oppressing the Israelites, kill the firstborn baby boy, toss him in aisle, all the Nile, enslave all the rest of them, and try to oppress the life and blessing out of this people, but it says be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Let's read Exodus 8, starting in verse 20, in Exodus 8, 20 through 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, because this is the first, the second triad, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered by them. Does that sound anything like this creation blessing? See, this creation blessing was given to humanity, and God said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole earth, blessing the whole earth. But now what is fruitful and multiplying and filling the land? It's these flies. Now, flies are extra disgusting. We got... I'm not even going to say it. Flies... What do flies represent, where do flies go? It's not rocket science, friends. Children, where do <laughs> flies go? I, I, you're not going to like me calling you children. <laughs> See, I, I say things to you that I hear about, and then I say things to them that I hear about. Flies go to dead things. Flies go to Crap. Flies go to manure. Flies help things decay and break down. Flies are this symbol of death. See, instead of this creation blessing that God gave all of humanity to multiply and fill the earth with, now these flies are instruments of death and symbols of death, symbols of decay and rot and uselessness that are multiplying and filling Egypt this place of oppression for God's people creation and now decreation happening creation turning on itself let's move to the next the next plague this is many scholars just call this plague that's it it's a plague it's a plague on livestock and what we find in this plague of livestock is something unique and interesting as well some the decreation hints here are where it says, in, do we have Exodus 9, 4 through 5, Conrad? Yes, there we go. But the Lord will make a distinction. But Let me just start and I'm going to read for you. Exodus 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God the Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on the livestock of your field on your horses, donkeys, camels, on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction. Here we go. It's up on the screen. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And then it goes on and says, The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord Yahweh will do this in your land. Now this language if you're paying attention real close attention, you see some of this creation language in this narrative of this fifth plague on the livestock and that that the creation language is is Calling forth from Genesis one, if we have good memories and we 've been schooled in the the Torah, like these people who have, who are the first readers and hearers have been schooled in the Torah, and they would hear that when God makes a distinction that 's creation language because we said this last week, God makes a distinction between first of all between the land and the sea and brings order. The frogs were a kind of a polemic against that creation order, but in the the, the, the plague of on the livestock, this distinction that it's talking about is hearkening to this distinction between night and day in Genesis 1, where God says, I'm separating night and day, and I'm making a distinction between the light and the dark, and I'm setting, I'm making the cosmic lights, God said, the stars and the sun and the moon, to set the appointed times you go back, you could literally have your finger in Genesis 1 and just read through what I'm talking about. I don't have t- time to go, go through and point all this out. But in Genesis 1, it talks about there's, I'm setting, the, I'm making the cosmic lights set apart Different times and set apart times. So this language of distinction, I'm making a distinction, and I'm setting apart, separating, appointing time to bring destruction on Egypt, not Israel. This is creation language. Let's go move on to the sixth plague. This is in Exodus 9, starting in verse 8. Some of these plagues are very short. Exodus 9, starting in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot. This is the, the third and final Plague in the second group of three, so there's no confrontation, there's no conversation, there's no time or place, it just happens. The Lord Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, "...take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it in the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils." will break out on people and animals throughout the land. Now, there's a number of things here. Part of it is ritual and ceremonial uncleanness. When you have a skin condition, it's not just the Israelites and the Jewish people who have rules and rituals about ceremonial cleanliness. It's other religions in this world. And so these Egyptians would be seen as ceremonially unclean and ritualistically and religiously unclean. But there's something else here, and this is where you need a little bit of research to see it. This word boil... The word boil in Hebrew is shakin, shakin, and the word, the scholars have noticed, is kind of an anagram, a backwards rendering of the word snake. One of the Hebrew words for snake is nakish, nakish. And so what the scholars are trying to see in this decreation narrative here is that These boils are pointing back to Pharaoh and pointing to Pharaoh as this embodiment or an incarnation of the snake in Genesis 3, the snake who brings destruction and deception into the story of humanity. These boils are pointing back to Pharaoh. Shaken is the Hebrew word for boil and nakish is the Hebrew word for, for snake. Boil is snake backwards. It's pointing back to Pharaoh and back to Genesis 3 in the narrative. Then we go to the plague 7. Hail, this is the first plague of the last group of three. And now the, the plagues start getting a little bit more vicious, a little bit more long. This, this is a long narrative in the plague of Hail. So it's the fir- if it's the first plague in the last group of three, where and when does it take place? In the morning. By the Nile River, talking to Pharaoh, right? Then, let's go to Exodus 9, starting in verse 15, Conrad. I'm just demonstrating this theme that I, that I laid out in the beginning of the message. For by now, God's talking to, to Pharaoh. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth, Pharaoh. But here's the deal. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. I'm just trying to show you this is this recurring theme. God has a heart for how creation is going to live. Then let's go to the next, what we find here in this plague narrative. You can put up Exodus 9, verses 23 through 26, Conrad. What we find here, when Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, Yahweh sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on all of the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything, stripping and everything growing was stripped off every tree. Now, the things that are going on here, just... can anyone guess as to the decreation that's happening here? It doesn't take a biblical scholar. Say that again, Montavius. Flood story, yes. Storms that are unprecedented coming and wiping out the land. Also, day three of creation, where God is creating all the vegetation and plant life to break forth. Now, decreation is happening, and everything that God created on the third day of creation is being stripped away from the very plants that they exist on. The, 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 the creation is becoming useless for animals and humanity. Then we move on to the. the to the next one, which is locusts. And locusts are serious business. Locusts are a common theme in the Bible, and they come in and eat and consume everything that God made grow on the third day of creation. You can put Exodus 10, starting in verse 3 up there, Conrad. Conrad. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord Yahweh, the God of Hebrews, says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in the fields. They will fill your houses and those of your officials and all the other stuff. Whatever the whatever the hail didn't take care of from day three of creation, the locusts. are going to now, creation folding in on itself. But there's another, even more fun little hint about creation going on here in this eighth plague. In Exodus 10, starting in verse 13, Conrad, it says, so Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land. Now, for those of you who know a little bit about some Hebrew words. This is a Hebrew word that some of us might, might know. What is the Hebrew word for wind? Thank you, somebody back here. Ruach. Now that's just a word that feels good to say. Ruach. Let me hear you say ruach. Ruach. This name ruach, or this word ruach, is the Hebrew word also not just for wind, but for what? Spirit. And where else did we find the Spirit, the Ruach of God in creation? In the very, very beginning. As God stands before this, before the earth that is chaotic and disordered in the the Ruach, the, the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep and begins bre- bringing these creative, life-giving forces, right? Now God brings that same Ruach, the same wind, and it's bringing in locusts and decreation and destruction and famine and heartache. What brought, once brought life is now bringing death because of the oppression and injustice of the Egyptians. In this ninth plague, we're almost there. This is the climax of the last of the triads. In Exodus 10, 21, it says, let's see it, Conrad. Then And The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. This can be translated in a different way instead of stretch your hand out to the sky so that darkness appears. This can be translated as well as Let there be darkness. Let there be darkness. Just like in the beginning of the creation narrative, when God is bringing about the goodness and life and abundance and flourishing of creation and order and beauty. Now, as Pharaoh has been oppressing this entire people group, God says, just like I said, let there be light. Now let there be darkness, a darkness that can be felt, see, because creation is caving in on itself because of the violence and evil and injustice and oppression and sin of humanity. Let there be darkness. And in this last plague, the tenth plague that sits apart. And I was going to do this on its own in a future date, but I'm just going to hint at some of the good stuff in it because there's lots of bad stuff in here. And we're going to talk about the bad stuff. We're not going to sweep it under the rug, but I'm going to combine it with some other bad stuff because there's more really ugly stuff that's going to happen in the narrative. Lots of people dying in one fell swoop, both in this portion of the story in the 10th plague and also the seas caving in and a whole bunch of people dying. We're going to talk about that hard stuff and how we navigate that, how I navigate it at least. But there's some themes that are worth hitting on in this 10th plague. In Jewish tradition, God speaks 10 words of creation. We're going to have a rabbi here. I've invited a rabbi to, to join us next week to talk through how Jewish people have seen these stories throughout the centuries and what the, how it shaped the Jewish people and also how they... Navigate the scriptures and in the, the difficult things. It's going to be a great time next week. But that rabbi would tell you there's this traditional idea that in creation, in the creation narrative, there's six days of creation, but Yahweh, God speaks ten words of creation. Ten times in Genesis 1 does God speak, and it's the ten words of creation the Jewish people see it as. And just like there's ten words of creation, now there's ten plagues of decreation happening. And the narrative says, I'm not going to read it in, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but God basically says, now the firstborn of Egypt is going to die. See? God even hinted at this in Exodus 4 when God appears, when Yahweh appears to Moses and he's telling him, I'm going to use you, Moses, I'm going to send you and you're going to oppose Pharaoh and you're going to set my people free who are being oppressed. There's this point in Exodus, 6 where, or Exodus 4 where Yahweh says to, to Moses, I want you to tell Pharaoh, you are killing my firstborn son. If you're paying attention, you remember if you are killing, tell Pharaoh, you are killing my firstborn son. And if you continue in this, I'm going to come after your firstborn son. There's this this retributive theme that goes through the plagues as well. And see, what we'll find is that God gives these... Instructions that anyone who slaughters a lamb and paints their doorposts in it and goes into the house, if you don't leave the house, but if you're in the house, you'll be saved, right? If you paint the blood of this innocent lamb on the doorposts. Well, scholars have found that this this phrase into the house in Hebrew is havita. Into the house, this phrase is the word is havita. And scholars have also noticed that this word havita is the word teva, backwards. Now, I don't expect you to know what the word teva is. Maybe Montavius knows because you, you said this a couple months ago. What does teva mean, Montavius? The ark. Teva is a word that's so far been used twice in the scriptures, and it's, teva is the word for ark in the flood narrative in Genesis. I want you to build a teva, I want you to build an ark. The second time we see this word teva in the, in the Old Testament is when Moses is put in this basket made of reeds, it's a teva, it's an ark that delivers him to safety. And now this word havita going into the house is actually teva backwards. See, these homes become these arks of refuge and safety amidst death and destruction. This narrative in the 10th plague pain, pointing us back to the flood narrative, where humanity had gotten so wicked and depraved that God lets decreation unfold, and the flood narrative happens, but they go into this teva, this ark of safety, where this remnant finds life, and it's the same thing in the 10th plague, in the plague of the firstborn, where you go into this Heyva, you go into this ark and you find safety and protection. There's themes of creation and decreation all throughout this plague narrative. And so we're about done with the plague narrative. We're going to come back to it because we're going to come back to the 10th plague and the destruction and the death, and the, we're going to ask the questions: Why, and what is that about? What am I supposed to believe about God if that God is the kind of God that does that? But I want us to stay elevated at the moment and think, what do we have to learn from the plague narrative as we're going to move on from this narrative? Everything's shaped by it, but what do we have to learn from this plague narrative? Now, I don't have time to ask you guys and to, for us to crowdsource this, but I will tell you what we Christians, we religious people, we humans usually take from stories like this. A couple of, couple of ways that we interpret these. First thing is, well, the w- leaders of the world and the politicians better pay attention to this because it's a politician and a leader of the world who was responsible for all this violence and destruction and death. And so basically, here's what we good Christians have to learn from the plague narrative. Vote for the right guy. Right? Like this is, this should not be, sorry, sorry if I scared you. This is, this should not be, this should not be news to you. This is how we in the modern American church boil down and apply so many parts of the scriptures. Here's the application. Check the right box when you're at the ballot. And I want to say, I'm going to bite my tongue this morning because this is a political text. Exodus is a political text. It's about a leader who thought that they were God. And in their insecurity, oppressed humanity and brought sin and violence and decay. So, yes, I think we need to be thinking about Are we supporting people and policies that bring about human flourishing or are we supporting policies and people that bring about decreation? That's a question for you and I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to point to any party or the other in particular. I'm just going to say we should be asking that question if we're applying this text. But, blaming, or saying the application is voting for the right person is not the right application. Here's another application. Here's another thing we say. I just read this morning as I was about to, to read through my notes. I checked the news and I see, holy cow, in L.A., in Southern California, they're expecting three to six inches of, of rain right now. And it's, they're expecting flash flooding and destruction happening. Biblical weather. In a way that human beings and, and readers of this text have applied this throughout the ages have been to say, whoa, maybe God is judging the people of Los Angeles now. There's this epic flood about to happen, or we see earthquakes in Haiti, or we see Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, or we see tornadoes that happen above churches that are talking about sexuality, and we say, that's God's judgment. And so it turns us into a bunch of meteorologists and astrologists trying to read the tea leaves and the weather and see what's happening and say this is God's judgment on humanity. That's not the way to interpret this text, friends. See, because both of those ways pass the buck. And don't involve me, they involve somebody else. But that's why it's so convenient and why we interpret these texts that way. I want to know what do these texts have to do with me? What do they have to do with you? What do they have to do with us? And here's my question. We can talk about who we vote for, but I'm more interested in how you live, how I live, how we live. And the question that I get from this plague narrative is are we living, am I living in a way that brings about decreation? Or am I living in a way that brings about shalom in the world around me? See, this whole narrative is... About God's name being known throughout the world, that means that so that, that human beings can function in a way that brings about human flourishing and life and goodness and beauty. And when, it, when we don't, decreation starts happening. What about me? What about the way that I live in the world? What about the way that I show up in my neighborhood? Am I living in a way that brings about creation? or decreation, in a way that brings about shalom or decreation. There's a reason, friends, why we do things like have seminars, because of, of a member of Brew City Church is a part of Habitat for Humanity, and so we want to tell people about the ways that we can fight against decreation in the city of Milwaukee that are things like segregation and racism and injustice and housing inequalities, and how we can actually fight towards the way of shalom in the city of Milwaukee. There's a reason that we feature those things. There's a reason that we feature people who bridge the gap between Muslims and Christians because Muslims think that Christians hate them, but we have a person at our, people at our church who want to bridge that gap and say, no, Christians love you. We love all people because of Jesus and because you're created with the Imago Dei and we want to bridge that gap. There's a reason that we do those things. There's a reason that we have people who are, giving their lives to kids who, are, who have cancer and families who have been ravaged by this, by this threat of death and we're, we're get, may, helping them live, their dream, live out their dreams and have their dreams come true. There's a reason why we have people who are nurses, who are, are oncology nurses, who are sitting in, in children's hospital with, with kids who are dying but maybe are giving these life-changing treatments. There's a reason that we want to feature and highlight these things, friends. And it's because you guys are doing these works that are bringing about shalom and flourishing in the world, and that's what we're called to be about. And it's not just these superheroes that I'm talking about. What are you doing tomorrow? What's your day look like? Who are you going to be with? What are the choices you can make to bring about shalom and human flourishing in the little, seemingly insignificant lives around you? Or to bring about and just let. You don't have to even be creative about decreation. It just happens if you let it happen. People falling apart, relationships falling apart, people seeing themselves, seeing one another as commodities, people seeing. Themselves as insignificant. Do you hear the opportunities here? We're just in our normal everyday lives, we get to make choices that bring about shalom for God's world and God's people, or that usher in more and more decreation and dehumanization and injustice and oppression and violence and sin. Are we going to be a community? That actually brings Milwaukee in the communities and the neighborhoods in its shalom? Or are we just going to try to fill the seats and feel good about ourselves while decreation is happening everywhere around us? Murder rates, reckless driving, all the things that plague our city racism, segregation, things falling apart. Are we going to be a community of people? Who are bringing about and make choices that lead to shalom in the world or decreation? It's just that simple. And I could repeat it over and over again, and I want to because this is the stuff of the Christian vocation, friends. It's not all about just voting for the right person, it's not all about just observing things that are happening, it's about the real life stuff in us letting God's name be known throughout the world, starting in our tiny little portion of it. Let's stand and pray, and I'm going to invite the band to come up so we can sing one more song together and close our time. Jesus, I just ask that you would help us take, help us see ourselves in these stories a little bit more. Help Help us to see the humanity in these stories. Help us to see your heart in these stories. Would you bring clarity to some confusing stuff, and more than anything, Jesus, would you transform us into your likeness more and more and more, so that I am a person who brings about shalom and flourishing, rather than mindlessly going along with the flow of decreation of our culture, devaluing humans, seeing people in the earth as commodities. Help us to live in the way of your way, Jesus, which is self-sacrificial love. How do I get to do that today? How do I get to do that tomorrow? Bringing in flourishing, not destruction. And so we end our time here together, Father, singing this song that has become kind of this this new and old hymn that many of us have sang throughout the years and generations in our churches where we're growing up. But we, we sing this blessing now, being mindful of who we are and who you've created us to be as your people, that we are people who bless, not curse. Let's sing one more time together, friends.